This episode is sponsored by Trend Micro, a global leader in cybersecurity. Learn more about their 30 years of security expertise on their website, trendmicro.com. My guest today is Bill Malice, the Vice President of Infrastructure Strategies at Trend Micro. Bill helps clients achieve an effective information security posture spanning endpoints, networks, servers, cloud, and the Internet of Things. During his four-decade IT career, Bill has worked as an application programmer with the John Hancock Insurance Company, an OS developer, tester, and planner with IBM a research director and manager at Gartner, and served as CTO of WaveSet. He ran his own consulting business providing information security, disaster recovery, identity management, and enterprise solutions. Bill has over 160 publications and has spoken at numerous events worldwide. Bill, so glad that you could join us, and we're curious to find out your cyber fear. What keeps you up at night? The thing that worries me the most is my friends and regular people sometimes not doing the right thing because the way we've set stuff up makes it hard to figure out what the right thing to do is. And thereby putting themselves, or their families, their business, uh, their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor at risk. <laughs> that's what worries me the most. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. A lot of people don't think about that, but that's certainly true. Now, I, we talk a lot about the metaverse. I, I see that the buzzword everywhere on the internet, news programs, and all the, the different things that I read there. And, and of course, Facebook rebranded their, their their company last year or so, known as Meta now. So um, maybe when we think about this, I, I often associate it to the, the internet or virtual reality or augmented reality. Maybe you could just break it down for us a little bit. Help us understand, what is this metaverse that everybody's talking about? <laughs> Well, the reason they called it the metaverse was because in 1992, uh, Paramount patented or rather trademarked the word holodeck, because that's really what they're talking about. Uh, they're talking about an environment that is as close to real as you can get. Uh, and if you've seen the recent uh, uh, chatter about uh, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, avatar, you know how far that is to something like a real life experience that's provided by way of a computer simulation. So it's beyond augmented reality. It's actually a complete immersive experience. And that's got some wonderful possibilities. Uh, it's also got some uh, incredibly profound risks as, as any new media does. It's interesting. In fact, let's talk about that a little bit then. So obviously there's some cybersecurity concerns. Security always comes up when with these type of things. What, what are some of the concerns maybe that, that stand out in your mind when you think about the metaverse and all the, the things that it does involve? Well, the metaverse is particularly appealing uh, because it allows me to escape my you know, everyday humdrum life. So I will step into the metaverse maybe for an educational experience or maybe to meet a friend uh, or maybe to do a job, complete a task. And in the course of doing that, I'm going to be interacting with a set of devices that are going to be giving me, you know, visual and auditory and maybe in some future time, you know, tactile feedback. But at the same time, in order to be authentic, these devices are going to have to monitor my responses. And this gets into some very troubling things having to do with privacy. 
we know from research in psychology that people react uh, very quickly to a momentary stimulus. In fact, uh, horror films in the 1950s were uh, remarkable in that they would insert a single frame of a horrific image that would upset the people in the audience, even though they didn't consciously see what it was. Wow. Vance Packard wrote a book called The Hidden Persuaders that talked about this being used in TV advertising. Well, the point is that if I'm playing, you know, mist or something, I'm concentrating on this world. And if in the course of that, an advertiser sneaks in a picture of, let's say, a sheep, and I have a micro expression of a, of a smile, the sensor now knows that I have a fondness for sheep. But the interesting thing is I don't, because that occurs below the level of perception. So they've got that piece of data about me. Now, a few moments later, they may slip in an image of a cow. And I, and I wince involuntarily. Again, this happens below the threshold of consciousness, but the connection between what I see and what I react is still there. So now the advertiser knows that I like sheep and I dislike cattle. What does that do for me? It means if I'm going to be looking at a stream of a political debate and this advertiser has access to that content, that while they're focusing on candidate A, they can slip in an image of a sheep and I'll go, oh, she's a nice lady. And while they're talking about candidate B, looking at him, they slip in an image of a cow and I think, oh, he's creepy, <laughs> right? Because of this, because of this very, very subtle way in which this technology can detect my very, very deepest uh, likes and dislikes, my fears, my, my griefs, my shames. This gives an enormous wealth of information, not only to people who want to sell me soap, but to people who want to start social movements moving, uh, for people who want to sway my vote on a particular issue. And this is uh, terribly concerning to me. It has to do with the trustworthiness of the media. And I mean, we all have had the experience where Facebook occasionally goes into a spasm and every third element of the newsfeed is an ad. Uh, in my case, sometimes the majority of them seem to be not only in a language I don't speak, but in a script I can't read. But the point is that as they get better at this, these channels will become more persuasive. And that tends to rob us of operational freedom of choice. It robs us of the ability to intellectually inquire, to think critically about what it is we're seeing and what we do. And that's and that worries me. So now let's just shift gears for a second, maybe Bill, and, and, and I want you to think back maybe the pandemic, which we've all kind of been suffering through here, and this this mass adoption of the shift to the remote workforce. And, and I was thinking about it, how that is, is so um, effective for cyber criminals to find ways to exploit different vulnerabilities. I was wondering what your thoughts are, maybe contrasting that to, to the metaverse. Is that same type of thing going to happen uh, or is it happening? What do you think? My concern is that it will happen. 
Um, it's happening a little bit now because people are stepping into a bit of the metaverse. I mean, the use of Zoom, right? <laughs> the number of times individuals connect virtually rather than in person. And what kind of crime did we see there? Well, the first thing was Zoom bombing. And everybody's worried about, you know, folks dropping in on sessions and spouting nonsense. And then there was a secondary concern about the theft of intellectual property, that maybe somebody could lurk in a Zoom session that involved, you know, the M&A team at some major bank. And so they'll get an inside track on something. So the, the fundamental model of cybercrime is you have, you know, a, a buyer and a seller thinking of from the corporate perspective, and the buyer has money and a business need, and the seller has a product or service and the intellectual property behind it. And that conversation is being moderated over some sort of uh, IT-enabled channel. So if the bad guy can get in there, they can go after the seller's money. I, I'm sorry, the seller's IP. They can go after the buyer's money. They can profile the buyer's desire, what it is they're looking for, and then possibly come up with an alternative or a fraudulent thing, thinking business email compromise stuff. They can uh, pollute the seller's message, um, or they can simply interrupt uh, the transaction and either send false data or modify the data that's being sent uh, to the end uh, point of being able to get money out of it, you know, get their name in lights. What is it? It's mice, right? Uh, it's uh, money or ideology or um, you're being coerced or it's ego. That's why people do bad things, according to the three-letter agencies. And, and cyber criminals are usually motivated by one of those things. But, you know, safe bet is money and a close second would be nation state actors. Now, because the metaverse is so immersive, uh, we really need to tune up our game in terms of critical thinking, not just being able to read a book and say, now, I wonder why they wrote it that way or watch a movie and say, oh, this is hilarious. Now, would this work in real life? You know, the, the criticism I use when looking at movies, is the smartest person on screen as smart as the dumbest person I've ever met in the real world? And if, and if it passed that threshold, they'd say, oh, that's a pretty good movie. The writers are on it, the actors are delivering and so on. Well, in the metaverse, there are more dimensions of uh, information. Now, the word I haven't mentioned till now, of course, is McLuhan. Um, I studied him when I was in school. And he talks about how when we use different media, the way in which we think changes, the way in which we perceive the world changes, uh, and therefore, operationally, we change. Um, just as there's a before and after with the texting, uh, in the 1950s, the model of a Bobby Soxer was a kid with a phone stuck in the air permanently. But if you go back a couple of generations, the word phony came into the English language, meaning something you heard on the phone, untrustworthy. So we absorb media slowly, and it's a generational thing. Uh, we talked about digital natives versus digital immigrants. I'm definitely a digital immigrant. My kids are digital natives. They were both born just before the turn of the century. And so they're completely at home in this world in a way that I'll never be. That doesn't mean I'm an outsider. 
it means that we can have productive, meaningful conversations about how this media works, because I'm proud to say my kids are also good readers and good critical thinkers. So those skills are, are really foundational. Uh, I've heard the comment that the people are the weakest link in cybersecurity. I think that is 180 degrees off course. If you give people the right tools and the right information, they will make the right decision. The problem is we don't even know what the ground rules are yet. So we're not sure. Uh, it'll be a long time and a difficult road before we have the regulations, the legal framework in place to uh, predicate a trustworthy metaverse. In the meantime, it's going to be the Wild West. It's going to be caveat emptor. And uh, I think the you could always tell the pioneers because they're the ones face down with the arrows in their back. I think that's what it's going to be like. Exciting and scary times ahead. Um, and I was thinking, I see a lot of people that are, you know, they're wearing things, virtual reality headsets and the smart glasses kind of come and go here, but all these various IoT devices, Internet of Things devices. And I'm wondering, do you think this makes the, the metaverse harder to keep secure from cyber perspective? Since you, you know, you think about it both from the digital attack surface to protect, but then there's also the, the hardware, the, the physical attack surface to protect it. Could that be more challenging? What, what are your thoughts and insight on that? It's vastly more challenging simply because IoT devices being physical, they have a unit cost, right? The first copy of a piece of software costs millions to develop. The second one is a download, right? So the economies of scale are dramatic when it comes to making software. When it comes to making hardware, everything you sell, you got to make first, and therefore the pressure is on cost. And cost pressures in IoT have meant that the devices are not built with good security. There are chips out there, ARM makes them, Intel makes them, that allow you to have a coprocessor to handle things like security functions, you know, to check, uh, generate passwords, to validate, sign digital messages and so forth. Those aren't being incorporated into technology because the vision of any IoT vendor is to sell billions. And if you increase the unit cost by two bucks, well, that's... $2 billion, you have to get back, cuts into your margins. So I don't believe that we're going to be able to secure these devices uh, without regulation. Um, there, there is no shortage, no, no shortcut to that. And the other thing is they're connected using a, a lot of really weird protocols. <laughs> Every IoT device, it seems, has its own way of talking to the world. And remember that although Modbus came into existence the same year that ARPANET went live back in 1969, it wasn't for 30 years later before the Modbus protocol had an IP version. I think it's uh, port 502. That's a long period of divergent evolution. And when you take a look at the protocols that are used by IoT devices, whether it's CAN bus, which is used in cars and aircraft, um, there's just an awful lot of very primitive uh, and not well thought out security because the goal of IoT, like any industrial system, is to make it safe and to keep the service running. That's orthogonal to the security principles of, you know, I want to keep it secure. I want to keep it confidential. I want to maintain the integrity. I want to make it available. 
those are those are entirely different things. And those two different mindsets mean when you blend those things, you create a extremely heterogeneous uh, environment. Now, I do not believe in the convergence of IT and OT. I am not going to be filling out my 1040 on an industrial robot, and I will not be using my PC to drive my car. Thank you very much. They will remain separate, but as the amount of networking between them increases, the security considerations multiply and the attack service grows exponentially. Bruce Schneider had a wonderful comment. He said, we are working as fast as we can to put sensors everywhere. How fast is the traffic? How many people are in the elevator? Is the building warm enough? And we consolidate that data into these great global minds, analytical engines taking a look at, well, where will the next car come? When will the next pedestrian arrive? When will the next person approach the elevator? And so we've got sensors and analytical components, and then we've got these actuators to speed the car up or slow it down, to warm the building up or cool it down. And his point is that when you combine sensors and intelligence and actuators, you're building a planet-sized robot. And we do not know how to manage it, much less secure it. That's where we're heading. And he's had some brilliant thoughts. I love his books, Bruce Schneier. And I met him up at Black Hat, I guess it was last year. And very, very insightful individual, that's for sure. So certainly appreciate you sharing that with us. Hey, Bill, maybe you could uh, help our viewers understand a little bit better. If they want to reach out and chat with you or learn some of the great things that you've been involved in at Trend Micro, what, what are some of the best ways to, to connect with you and, and chat some more? Well, thank you for that opportunity. And yes, folks, please, please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at William Malik TM. The TM is for Trend Micro, not Trademark. I'm also on LinkedIn at WJ Malik. Uh, and you can certainly reach me through my uh, blogs, which are posted on the trendmicro.com uh, website. Happy to take any questions. I love conversations. Um, I will say that if I find myself to be the smartest person in the room, I begin to suspect that I'm in the wrong room. So I really want, you know, intelligent feedback and I'd love to have conversations with your listeners. Great. Well, again, thank you so much for, for joining part of this segment, sharing some of your, your thoughts, your insight there is very uh, encouraging. And, and I learned a few things as well. And I'm sure our viewers will appreciate it also. So thanks again. And thanks for all the great stuff that you're doing there. Trend Micro and keeping us all safer. My pleasure.